If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And this is a eschatological passage, a passage that deals with the future from the lips of our Lord Jesus himself. And it's going to be the base text for uh, this message titled, Until He Comes. This is the last of our series this summer. As we begin, you know, we renew our series in Romans next week. And uh, this one is on prophecy. And we're going to be trying to sew a lot of stuff together in a short period of time. But here we go. Jesus left the temple and was going away when the disciples came to point out to him that the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon the other that will not be thrown down, reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which happened exactly as he said. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many prophets, false prophets, will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. In our quest for an unshakable faith, nothing is more important than to be sure of its outcome. And nothing should be more exciting to the believer's heart than the promise from God of the return of the bridegroom himself, our Lord Jesus, for his church. Our world is a volatile place, would you agree? And increasingly so. At last report, the Ebola virus, the word famines there carries the idea of diseases, uncontrollable diseases, that virus is estimated to reach 20,000 people before they, get, they can contain it. That's just an estimation. Russia has decided to renew its expansion aspirations. Have you ever heard of Gog and Magog? ISIS continues its reign of terror, intimidating, killing, torturing, and publicly beheading followers of Jesus in its attempt to create fear and radical Islamic Sharia law. 
in both Iraq and Syria and as far as they can spread it. Britain just put up a terror threat to, its terror threat to severe, anticipating a soon-to-come attack. Of course, this should be of no surprise to the follower of Christ who loves his Bible, follows the Word of God. Even here in this passage of Scripture, we're told that there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, there's going to be famines, there's going to be pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And so, yet students of prophecy have, have long connected the things that are happening in the current moment. Things like Israel being back in the land, that's a, that's a huge thing. And uh, the evil on this incessant increase as sort of signs, if you please, of the coming and return of Jesus. It could be. Does that excite you? Paul said it should excite you. He told us in Romans chapter 13, he said, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light, he says. For me, prophecy didn't just wake me up. It literally raised me up from spiritual death where I was before I came to know Jesus as my Savior. My, I'll never forget the day my sister came to me and she, she told me, she laid Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, in my hands. And it was a book on prophecy and, and the future events. And I'm not saying we have to agree with everything Lindsey said, but he tapped into something everybody is interested in, namely the future. I know that for a fact. I know that God has planted in every human DNA an interest in the future. In fact, he has told us that in Ecclesiastes, that he he has planted eternity in human hearts. Have you ever read that? That means that everyone has a natural, innate, inborn, in your DNA, interest in the future. God put it there so that we might long for the truth of that. Now, that said, in that very same verse, it doesn't, that is, that's not where it ends. It goes on to say, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end in all God's people said. In other words, while God has given us this natural desire to know the future... Watch this. He has not fully revealed everything to us. All the details. Indeed, in this very passage that I read, if I had skipped down, if you, well, if you go all the way down to verse 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as the days were of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days before the flood, there was eating, there was drinking, there was marrying, there was giving in marriage. Sounds like pretty normal stuff to me. Then the flood came, swept everybody away. That's the way the coming of the Son of Man will be, he says. When I read that, I see three things. I see ignorance. I see normality. And I see suddenness all woven together. 
That's disappointing news for those who think they can piece together every prophetic detail between now and when Jesus comes back. And yet Jesus did say just before he ascended into heaven, because again of this innate desire, now the believers, the followers of Jesus, he, they know he's about ready to leave them, and they said, so what, are you going you to establish your kingdom right now? Is this the time? And he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the, the times and the seasons. That's the Father. He's, he set this up, and you're not to know this. So we say, okay, we can't know the time, but can we know time charts? That's the reason why we have scripture that says, walk by faith, not by sight. If we had it all laid out, there wouldn't be any faith involved. About a year ago, I ran into someone, somewhat of an esteemed theologian, who had just had his new prophetic chart minted and printed. He handed me a, a free, glossy poster, quite proud of his accomplishments. I think he thought maybe even Clarence Larkin would have been proud of it. Apparently thinking I was going to maybe put it up in my office. I thanked him, but it didn't go up in my office. When I read end time layouts, I'm reminded of what we do with pictures, when we take pictures. Can I take a picture of you right now? Do you mind? Just take a picture. I've never done this before. There we go. I'll do that panoramic thing. How's that little deal right there? I probably moved too fast. What do you do when you take a picture that doesn't look good or it's blurry? What do you do? You throw it away. You delete it, right? That's what you do. That's why for several reasons... Some people don't even pay attention to eschatology. That's the theological word for future events, future things. Some people look at it and they say, it's just so, it's so abstract and, and the time charts turn me off and they turn me off too. But then they just ignore it. When a quarter of the Bible is prophetic, if a quarter of the Bible is prophetic and, and, and then some, don't you think we should be interested in prophecy? Please say yes. Thank you. So, if some of this stuff is not crystal clear about all the details, and remember, I just said, I think the reason why it's not crystal clear is because God is desirous that we walk by faith, not by sight. So that we don't know all those Finer points and details that some people think they can actually scroll on a line. There are some things that are very clear, some pictures, if you please, that are very clear, things we can know about the future, and quickly, let me give them to you. Here they are. Are you ready for this? Jesus is coming again. Thank you. He promised us, and you've read those promises. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go there. If it, was, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again to receive you to myself. Thank you very much, Jesus. That where I am, there you may be as well, right? That's a promise from Jesus. A promise, by the way, 
that was reiterated by the angels, those two angels that stood there while Jesus ascended up in heaven in Acts chapter 1 on the cusp of these disciples asking about when the time is going to come. He said, it's not for you to know. And suddenly he starts going up into heaven. He says, but be, and just before he said that, here's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. You'll be witnesses be witnesses about me, my death, my burial, my resurrection, my claim of lordship. Preach that around the world. And then he starts to send into heaven, and they're just staring up. And here are two angels who say, why do you stare up into heaven? This same Jesus who you see going up will come in like manner in the clouds. He left the earth. He'll come back to the earth. He left in the clouds. He'll come in a cloud. That's a promise. And it's a promise that the Apostle Paul reiterated and described in great detail, which we don't have the time. You could study it on your own, First Thessalonians 4, where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who've fallen asleep, those who've died, those who love Jesus, who've died before you. They are not going to go before you. In fact, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the, with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and will be with one another, so comfort one another. This is all affirmed by Scripture. Jesus is coming again. And please note that, and I know I just quoted it, but Paul, there's, there are, there are this, the second person plural. We know this. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. He, he completely believed it would happen in his lifetime, though it didn't. So this business of readiness and anticipation should always be in our lives that Christ could come at any given time. And the issue is not when it will happen, but can it be true? And on the authority of the Word of God, it is true. It will happen. Jesus is coming again. Now we know that. That is clear. That much is clear. Here's the second thing it's clear. Things will get worse before they get better. Post-millennialist aside, who see things in a dark kind of a way, but they will get worse before they get better. In Matthew chapter 24, later on, verse 20, go down to verse 21. If you have a Bible with you, here's what it says. For there will be great tribulation, such as it has not been from the beginning of the world until now, he writes, or he says. No, and never will be. It's going to be so bad, if I don't cut this thing short, Jesus says, nobody lives. Nobody survives. But I will cut it short. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Until then, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, evil men and imposters will get worse and worse. Have you ever read that? That'll include hatred and persecution and deception and even death. Christianity is virtually the world's whipping boy, including the United States of America. And we know that that deception is going to... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says when the Antichrist is revealed, he's going to be so deceptive, he's going to be so powerful in his deception 
that people will believe a lie. Whatever that lie is, they'll buy into it. It'll get worse before it gets better. And I, I read a, a pre-trib rapture article recently. And if you didn't know, if you didn't know any better, uh, I would think when they sing the hymn, there's an old hymn, many of you will recognize it, we're in the middle of it, it goes, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? I think they'd say, Yep, pretty much. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. All who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer. The Bible makes that really clear. The Bible makes it really clear that through many tribulations we enter into the kingdom of God. Have you ever read that in the book of Acts? So there's no flower. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But take heart. We will be saved who know Jesus from the wrath that is to come. That's clear. Christ's followers will grow cold, according to this very passage here. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, when he comes again, will he find faith on the earth? What does that mean? I take it to mean that the great apostasy is probably already settling in. Where, con- where Christianity becomes a faith of convenience more than conviction. You know, if it works, yeah, I'll be there, so to speak. But things will get bet- worse before they get better. And there'll come a day when Jesus is standing as judge, and many who think they're Christians, and that's going to be some of you, perhaps, you'll stand before him, and you'll say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many wonders in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. These are people who think they're going to heaven because they've done things in the name of Jesus. This is all this is all a part of the last days where people are claiming Christianity but have never been regenerated. They've never been saved and I'm thinking that's probably some of you. So think deeply about this. Here's the third clear thing. Whatever suffering we might endure, it's temporal and therefore unworthy of comparison to the glory that awaits us. That's what Paul said, right? I'm convinced that the suffering in this present time is not what? It's not worthy to be compared. You can't, it's not worthy. Don't compare it because it's not worthy to the glory which shall be revealed in us. To the little church at Smyrna, here's what Jesus said to the sufferers in, in Revelation chapter 2. Here's what he said. He said, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna, right, the words of the, the, words of the first, the last, who died and came to life, that's Jesus, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, they're of the synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you'll have tribulation. That's a a short duration. But be faithful unto death. I'll give you the crown of life. If you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the encouragement that Jesus gives to us. Whatever suffering we endure is not worthy to be compared to what we have waiting for us. And keep that in mind. No matter what happens from here on in. Here's a fourth clarity, fourth clear picture. When Jesus returns to earth, 
it will be with great wrath and glory. Again, this passage is hardly ever alluded to, but look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here's what it says. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering. Since, indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, watch this, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I take that to mean those who, those who, the pagans of this world who don't know God, who've never been, who've never heard a clear message of the gospel, but have turned against God just the same, and on those who don't obey the gospel, you've heard it and you've rejected it. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you. That is, was believed. Those are strong words, aren't they? He's going to come with great glory, great wrath, And when he comes, he's going to punish the bad guys. And he's going to prepare his people to look up and say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can read Revelation 19. We don't have time to go there this morning. But here's the fifth fifth clear truth from God's word. When Jesus returns, he will set up a literal 1,000-year kingdom on earth. If you go to the book of Revelation, you read chapter 20, you'll read it not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, but six times you'll read. 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years. He's going to reign. He's going to come. He's going to set up his kingdom. It'll be for a thousand years. Zechariah tells us that if you don't give him the glory, it doesn't rain on your property. And he will have great glory. And, and, and people wonder, what's the purpose of a thousand year reign that just sort of, in, in essence, sort of extends into eternity? But there are, there are purposes. And even if God hasn't revealed them all, we believe that. First, it's, it fulfills prophecy. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament that Christ will come, that he will reign, the earth will return to Edenic conditions. They're there. And the scripture must be fulfilled. Jesus said that. So we believe that. And also it proves that man, for all of his advancements, for all of our adjustments in this world as human beings, without Satan and the demons, because by then, if Scripture, if I understand Scripture right, they're going to be locked up for those thousand years, according to Revelation 20. And in spite of Satan being locked up for a thousand years and the earth being under Edenic, Eden-like conditions all over again. I mean, isn't that... I mean, and Jesus on his throne, it's, it's going to be glorious and everybody will love him, right? Well, obviously not because there's a great rebellion that takes place and I think it's going to prove that man, without his blaming on his environment, without his blaming on the devil and whatever else he wants, you want to blame shift on, we are rebels in our hearts. 
And every, per, every individual, even under a perfect environment, born into this world, must be born again. And many will not be. So, as I look at all of these individuals and people and theological constructs that are out there, uh, many of them don't agree with the thousand-year millennium. They don't see a future for Israel. I think the Bible teaches both very clearly, and there's so much more I wanted to say, and there just isn't time to get into all of that. So I'm going to jump right into just some things, just some final thoughts for all of us here as we close it up this morning with this little cursory overview. One, believe he's coming again. Do you believe that? I know that seems like forever, and I know we've been preaching this forever, and the church has been preaching for 2,000 years, but believe it because it's true. Secondly, contain your fears as you observe current events. Again, just, just a little line there in, in chapter 24 and verse 6, the middle of verse 6, Jesus says, See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. That's an important segment of that passage. He's saying, don't get alarmed because wars and rumors of wars have been taking place for years, right? And whether or not they're on the increase or the decrease, the end is coming. The end is coming. But contain your fears. I confess of being somewhat of a news junkie. But here you have the very words of Jesus himself telling us not to become enslaved by the things that naturally alarm us. If I read this passage clearly, it's going to be no doubt when he comes. No doubt. Here's a third thing, admonition to you. Prepare, prepare yourself for an anytime departure. When you look at this passage, either here in the Gospels or later on in the epistles or going to the book of Revelation, behold, I'm coming quickly. Looking for that, or looking for the blessed hope. That means to look with expectation. Believe the imminent return of Jesus at any time. I, I met with somebody just recently, a, a new Christian. He said to me, he said, yeah, a friend of mine said the first book I should study is Revelation. <laughs> I said, Geez. you know, with all due respect, I said, I'm not so sure that's the first book. And then I read Revelation 1 and verse 3, which says there's a blessing to anybody who reads this book. I'm thinking, eh, maybe not so bad. Prepare yourself. And one way you can do that is receive the blessing that comes to you promised from God just for reading prophetic truth. Here's another thing you need to consider. Purify yourself in the light of His coming. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, John writes, that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. And it has not yet appeared what we Shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him 
purifies himself. How? As he is pure. There should be an increasing glory, an increasing righteousness, not positional righteousness, but practical righteousness, our lives looking more like Jesus as we go. And so when we see people in our church that are suffering with various forms of disease or cancer, I think of Tony Lawrence, I don't even know if he's here today, you know, he's been suffering so greatly with his cancer, but he'll say things, I'm fine, I'm in the Lord's hands. Mike Wells, suffering with cancer, he said to me the other day, this has given me a whole new perspective on death. Praise God, I say. Those are refining fires. Those are hurt. They hurt, but they're necessary. That's why John says in 1 John 2, 28, And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we might have confidence and not be afraid away from him at his, at his appearing. That's what the Greek says, away from him. The only reason you'd be that way if you're not fervently following him now. Wearsby once said, it's one thing to be ready to go to heaven. It's another thing to be ready to meet the Lord. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says. And the last I checked, the word all, it means all. Just what it says. Here's another thing we need to do as we hasten to the end of our time today. Stir up the brethren. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we what? See the day approaching. The return of Jesus should inspire us to be deeply involved with one another, exhorting each and every one Another, to love, to good works among ourselves and in this world, and increasingly so, and so much the more, he says. We said years ago that God wants us to do better at what we do best, and if even if you are exhorting somebody now, exhort them all the more. As we see the day approaching. Next week, we'll go to the communion table, and we'll remember Christ's death and his resurrection, and then we'll be reminded, you keep doing this stuff until he comes, he says. Stir up the brethren. And finally, for some of you this morning, the only thing you need to know in the light of Jesus has come is to repent and believe the gospel. Here's how Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 3. Here's how he puts it. Look at it. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, and aren't you glad? Not wishing that any should perish, that's his heart, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting 
and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. That's the future of this earth. That's why I tell people, tell environments, look at, look at what we're doing to the earth. I say, wait till you see what God's going to do to this earth. And some of you are going to melt down right along with it. You'll go into outer darkness where there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Those aren't my words. Those are Jesus's. Just the other day, I got a phone call from the church I formerly pastored and this dear, sweet, 90-some-year-old lady died. And they wanted me to come up and do the funeral. I couldn't. I had a conflict. But um, when me and another guy drove to her and her husband's house about 25 years ago, we drove up into the driveway, a little country home, cold night, snow was blowing, looked up, pitch black. We were not going to go up to a house. It was like 10 below zero wind chill pitch black and we started to pull out and we looked up and there was a little light we just saw a little light come on oh we thought somebody must be home what had happened was they they were tipped off that we were coming so they turned all the lights off so they would not we wouldn't think they were home <laughs> seriously that's what they did imagine somebody not wanting to greet me <laughs> and uh but in the sovereignty of God, in the providence of God, their phone rang. And the husband reached up and turned a little tiny lamp on to answer the phone. And that's what we saw on the window. Sat down with the two of them. Laid out the gospel claims. I said to the man, I said, if you died right now, where would you go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? He said, well, heaven, I hope. His wife, who just died the other said, heaven, you hope, she says to her husband. Is that all we have after, only, after 30 years in the Lutheran church? All we got is a hope like that? She starts scolding him. She looked back at me and she says, I want more than, a, than wondering. I want to know. They were both saved that night. She was one of the most joyful people I've ever met in my life. Every time we had a testimony, she'd stand up and just thank God that he, that he had led them to come out of their literal darkness and into a glorious light, which is exactly where some of you need to be today as you sit in darkness. You're sitting in darkness. And God has come with more than just a little light, the very light of the world, for your redemption, your salvation, and your biblical hope, because he's coming again. Will you trust him? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to lift up our praises to you, to open up your word and just do a cursory overlook of the future. And we 
confess, Lord, we don't know all the finer points. We do know the clear ones, though, Lord. You're coming, Lord Jesus. And while it might get worse before it gets better, we have hope in you because we know that you know what's going on. You're close to your church. And we look forward to the kingdom that is yet to come and the glory that will be revealed. I pray for those here, Lord, who've never trusted Jesus. And there are some here, and you know who you are. You're still sitting in darkness. But your heart is saying, I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to know God. I want to have faith. I want to have hope beyond the grave. Jesus has died and risen for you. He's been patient with you. Would you quietly just from your heart trust him this morning? And for the balance of those of you here who know Jesus, what does this do to you? Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to express our praise. We're going to do so now. Touch many hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.